0: You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL Pro and Power Athlete founder, John Wellborn, as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, AKA Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John Wilborn, CEO, founder, and big monkey here at Power Athlete. Ten-year NFL athlete. (sighs) And power athletes, just too many athletes. But yes, I did play for a decade in the NFL. And uh, I'll tell you, um, I'm pretty blown away. And I think I I was telling you this the other day, I got a new TV and we've been watching more NFL, and I'm completely blown away by the quality in which they're producing and, like, all the different camera angles. I mean, so much so I could see the wrinkles on Aaron Rodgers' face during the Packers game. And he looks old as fuck. Well, he's still wheeling and dealing. Well, he's killing it. I mean, it's got to be the ayahuasca. You think he's playing on ayahuasca? No, I no, don't. be a bad deal. Uh, but uh, thanks for coming on. Another episode of Power of the Radio, man. I mean, I know I'm a friend of the podcast. So, I mean, can you, can you be a friend of the podcast? I am the podcast. (laughs) This is. That's fucking.
0: Tex McQuilkin, the director of performance at Power Athlete Radio. And we are exploring BFR. Reason being, we now at power at shop.powerathletehq.com have our own BFR bands on sale now.
1: Yeah, um, I'm very excited. These have actually been in production uh, for almost two years. So I wanted to create a very simple, easy band that had some notches on it, a few marks um, that was easy to take, not overly expensive. Um, some of the systems you can go really deep. I mean, when we first got into blood flow restriction, Katsu Global was um, you know, really the gold standard. Just their, the system and the way that they set it up was extremely like expensive and very difficult. And it was hard for us to convince people to spend seven or $10,000 on a blood flow restriction training system.
0: It was very hard. And we were able to hack it, basically taking some some long uh, knee wraps, knee wraps, uh, long bands, folding them over six times to, again, then get yeah. them around the biceps. A lot of hacking going on.
1: Yeah. And the problem is, is when we were using the knee wraps and some of the systems we were using, there was no way to kind of make it repeatable. So a big issue I always want to think about is like, hey, if I start at X and then I progress, like how do I you know continue to ramp it up a notch and just being like I think it's tighter so I wanted to develop not only a fairly um not inexpensive but just like a very affordable band that we could push out to the entire power athlete ecosystem so that uh you know price isn't the barrier to entry and then I wanted to have all these little kind of notchy marks so that you could say, Hey, you know what, if I'm gonna start at, you know, sixty five, the next time I wanna to try to go a little bit tighter, because where people make a lot of mistakes with BFR, is they go too fast, too far, and just they over. Yeah, turn it into muscle. restriction versus yeah. occlusion. Now uh, you're uh, the the thing I want is like you want to occlude the muscle, you don't want to create a tourniquet.
0: So if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify video, which we are on, you can notice I'm not flexing too hard, just I'm jacked and wearing these. So, John, what's the, what's the essential walkthrough? So, if I just purchase these,
1: coach me up. All right. So, you're obviously going to undo the Velcro, and then you're going to slide them on. And what we're looking to do is get to the top, really between the shoulder, real high up into the armpit, and we're going to include the top of the bicep. So, we're really at the top of the arm, right in the crook of the arm so where people make a mistake is they get it too low i wanted to have it really high up into the armpit um, you need to be able to do some movement with it because part of this is going to be lifting weight, so it can't be restrictive but it also can't be so low that it's in the center of the muscle belly so i want you to think about the insertion up into the armpit and really at the top of that bicep nice and then the, the for the legs same thing top of like in the crotch kind of top of the thigh um you know like right between where like the thigh and the glute kind of really high up into the uh, um in the crotch i guess is the only way i could think it uh-huh. um where people make mistakes too low middle of the muscle belly i want you to think about insertions and get it real high up in there in that you know top of the quad uh, top of the hamstring position and we're just going to include the bicep in here don't put them at the top of the calves we tried that that wasn't good either
0: yeah also they when you had the opportunity to interview yeah katsu so let's get into a little yeah. bit history. on. Well, uh, just a note on that, they said, do not do that because yeah. it leads to then blood clots in the yeah. calves
1: and then you travel and bad news. Yeah. So uh, I was fortunate to interview Dr. Sato, who was or is the creator of blood flow restriction. Um, we drove up to L.A. Uh, he was at a conference and I got a chance to do a podcast with him one that we never released because the audio was so terrible well and it
0: was delivered through a translator yes so the in terms of the viewer
1: experience not optimal but you were able to learn yeah so uh i think i I think nate was my audio video video guy odds are I, i actually zoomed in
0: for that one so i was on the receiving end of the information only yeah which i'm not mad at i had a great time
1: yeah, but it was uh, it was beneficial, one for the history. Um, my first question was, how did it start? So he was an Olympic skier and a high-level skier. And he took a, a bunch of uh, athletes up into the mountains to go ski. And while he was skiing, he broke his leg. So they, they casted him up. He got him and realized that he was the only one that could drive a manual transmission. So he had to drive home. With a broken leg. With a broken leg. And the problem was, it was his left leg, which is a clutch leg. So... What he did is he put a tourniquet, like a, a real tight um, you know, piece of cloth up with a stick in the tourniquet and kind of turned it. And what he was doing was he was actually, uh, you know, figured like, hey, if I can reduce the swelling by reducing the blood, I could, you know, effectively drive home. So what he would do is he would kind of put it on real tight, shift, and then he was doing this kind of on-off deal and uh, – he ended up by the time they got back from the drive, he said his leg felt better than it did uh, earlier. So uh, he started using this kind of training where he was kind of occluding the blood. And he said that he was getting like an interesting quad pump from pushing the clutch in while it was occluded. And he said, when he got out after like the five hours and the pushing, he his leg was much more muscular and like looked more jacked. Which I think is crazy seeing as the leg was broken, but he, you know, something had sparked interest for him. So then he started using this in his training. And in like relatively, I think they estimated like a three to six month heal, he was healed in like three to six weeks. Uh, the, whatever was happening within the environment he was creating in the occluded muscle was not only healing the bone, but uh, really ramped everything up. So he went back to the lab. Uh, he was a doctor working on, you know, exercise physiology. And they started using blood flow occlusion in their testing and the results were anything but fabulous i mean things out of like a marvel comic so they started training the athletes and the place that they really first tested it was with the japanese speed skaters in the olympics so the olympic speed skaters if you guys want to do a little google search um for those japanese speed skaters from back in like you know whatever's the 70s 80s and 90s uh their quad development was actually fantastic and those guys were extremely powerful individuals so they started using it kind of this kind of clandestine training method almost hidden like because it was providing an uh, an incredible advantage and so what he ended up doing is they ended up putting in the lab figuring out that what they were doing was occluding blood flow so they were restricting venous blood flow, but not so tight that it was restricting arterial blood flow. So what was happening is as the blood was pooling, it was creating a very favorable anabolic environment. Growth hormone was shot through the roof. Uh, They also had an interesting thing where normally uh, motor units fatigue in an order. It's usually slow twitch, and then you kind of go down in this cascading effect to finally fast twitch. They found that motor units were fatiguing at the same rate at the same time so they were able to access high tension, high threshold motor units very quickly. Um, And it just provided provided a very beneficial environment for people that were occluding the muscles. The other side effect that I was really fascinated by was actually it created greater elasticity within the veins and the arteries. So by occluding them, which actually increased health, because you think about as you age arteriosclerosis where the hardening of the arteries, hardening of the veins, it was actually fixing that, and they were getting greater pl- plasticity in veins and arteries from the occlusion. So not only were they able to build muscle in an occluded state with very light weights, but they were also able to heal muscles and create some really favorable environments in the occluded situations. And then? And then? Uh, we started to apply it in training. Well, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember where, how it crossed my radar. Um, it might've been very well that uh, Katsu Global, who Dr. Sato was working with at the time, was local in Huntington Beach. And uh, the guy who was kind of spearheading their US division reached out to Cross the Football John Wellborn Power Athlete. And we went over there, and it was a real short drive, went over there and took us through their system and actually gave us one of the Katsu Global systems, which were really killer. They were like, a device as big. Uh, you plug the whole thing in, you plug in the cuffs. You hit a button and it pumps it up with air. And I was like, man, this is really cool. Um, you know, And I'm thinking in my head, dude, this would be great if we could use in the training programs. I wonder what the cost is. And I want to say it was like between like seven and $15,000 for the units, depending on which one you wanted. And instantly I was like, ah, this is going to be impossible to sell this to uh, the average gym consumer. So my next question was... Um, when Dr. Sato broke his leg, he, like, what was he using for his occlusion? He's like, he was using a belt. And it was like one of those things where I'm like, okay, so, like, is there a way for us to hack our way into this thing? Can we tr- find a cheaper version? And, of course, there is. And so we started playing with, uh, we, we originally started with uh, the Voodoo Floss from Mobility Wad, from K-Star, from the Ready mm-hmm. State. The problem with that is uh, it was actually really painful and probably did more damage. Well, for hairy guys, think. yeah. Yeah. So then we started using leg wraps, uh knee wraps, like powerlifting knee wraps. And mm-hmm. that was okay. Uh we ended up ordering some tourniquets. I mean, we tried a million different things. Uh the biggest issue we ran into is that none of them were thick enough. They were all real small, about an inch. And you need something a little bit thicker. I think these are around two inches. And the thicker, uh, you know, like the the thicker the band for the leg ended up being extremely beneficial because it covered more surface area. Whereas when we were doing the voodoo floss, they were real small mm-hmm. and then they would roll up and it would just basically turn into like a shoelace, which was extremely painful. So there were a couple things that we figured out pretty earlier that you wanted a thicker band in terms of width. And I also wanted a way to be able to measure progress yeah so that was a big thing for me especially with all these little notches you can see the little ticks on here i wanted you to be able to be like hey day one i was able to get to 60 and it was fine and now all of a sudden i'm gonna go 59 58 57 and then maybe you know we switch it up and as your leg grows maybe we go back in time and have a little bit of like you know almost a periodization a little undulating periodization where now we're using uh, kind of a light heavy medium approach uh-huh. for the individuals So sticking with that application guidance,
0: I put these on and I'm not going as tight as I can. Mm -hmm. So speak to it. Just we want to be 100 percent clear on the the reason you have the notches here is for this point here. Sure. So coach us through again. Where do I start? Because people are going to fuck it up to begin with until they don't.
1: Yeah, um, we ask everybody to start very moderate, which means like, put it on so that it's just barely, uh, you know, like a little bit of tension, you know, you, the one thing you don't want to do is really, uh, crank it up. And then we go for what's capillary refill, where all of a sudden you take and you kind of squeeze your fingers together and you should see it get white and then obviously get red again. Now, all of a sudden, if it's so tight that you, when you push it white, it stays white. Now you've effectively gone too much. So we usually ask people to stay at like something that's uh, where you'd notice it, but it's not discomfort for for number one. And then we ask them to do you know anywhere from you know 15, 20 minutes of continuous exercise, trying to get a real good pump in the arms and the legs, and just moving through full body, full range of motion movements. Normally, just some body weight tends to work for people most time. And then the next time we come in, pull a little bit tighter, pull a little bit tighter. Always constantly checking capillary refill. Where now all of a sudden I'm squeezing my fingers and I'm seeing it go white and then back to color and making sure that uh everything is copacetic now where i think where most people fuck it up is they go too tight too fast mm-hmm. if anything it's like a linear progression i want to keep you know mild discomfort and then kind of progress onto it once the muscle becomes more adept at it
0: and how about weight selection i feel people are going to also potentially get
1: tripped up and going too heavy yeah i mean th- around 30 is more than enough um we've We've tried it heavier and what happened was when we started lifting heavier weights, it started changing movement patterns because of the occluded, uh, muscles. Like let's say on the back squat, we tried to do this with back squat where we were trying to squat 85, 90% and it just didn't work out the way we thought it would. So actually going back and reaching back out to Dr. Sato, uh, because I was fortunate after our meeting, uh, he was somewhat very friendly and actually sent me a training program for me to try out. And I did. Um, And it was lighter weights, somewhere around 30%. But the issue came down to training to failure. So if, you know, I put 155, 185 pounds on a back squat and I can squat 30 reps easily, I need to do 30, 40, 50 reps. So the idea is that you're actually working towards the end range of failure in the occluded state so uh what we would end up doing is whether it be uh, i don't know uh, leg extensions hamstring curls uh, squats arms i mean whatever it was just finding different movements that we would work to failure and then as soon as we would failure we'd move to the next exercise and train a different muscle so if i did push-ups to failure Mm -hmm. then i'd go over and i'd do some form of leg to failure and then go back and do uh tricep push downs to failure and then you know uh um calf raises or hamstring curls and then go and do curl you know, anything yeah curl just pick, anything. Something just pick something up pick something up curl it so when i was in costa rica um we went surfing and i decided i brought i brought the these bfr bands to play with and uh was just basically doing uh bulgarian split squats um uh, air squats holding a log and then a bunch of push-ups and anything i could to do dips and curls and whatnot and so the idea was to just train to failure and get a nice pump and it ends up being um, like i almost tell people like um, if you go too hard the first day it's going to create almost a negative training effect just put it on so that you got a little bit of tension and i just want you to move through for 20 minutes just keep doing the movements keep working to failure and then as you become more adept like you do three workouts Then all of a sudden, maybe three more workouts, you kind of crank it up a little bit more and then three more workouts where now all of a sudden it's a little bit tighter. Now, you know, another three workouts where it's a little bit tighter and then go back and kind of go through different forms of period, like the different almost tightness, like start cycling the tightness or the the constriction. And at that point, uh, you know, maybe try to get more reps and or maybe put a little more weight on and just keep moving it. Really, it comes down to, if I can create metabolic stress by keeping moving to failure for 20 minutes, I'm usually right on board. Nice. And so now
0: exploring our different training programs, there's certainly a place for this in Jack Street, the king of all. And then our, our Field Strong, or uh, I don't know if we'll explore this in Bedrock possibly, but Johnny Bodd for sure, if you sure. want to bolt that onto your little Bedrock program. Um, but how how can we apply this into the training programs? Like you said, go to failure. Now, how would that be explored and written into a training program?
1: So uh, the way we would write it into a training program, um, and this is kind of an interesting piece that we know from the metabolic conditioning cycles, very similar to what uh, Dr. Kramer and Boyd Epley put together for those Nebraska stuff. They knew that the only muscles would grow were the ones that they've trained the day before. So there is a definite training effect. Like we would never just have this be a standalone workout, there's always going to be something heavy on the front side. Like let's say we have heavy barbell back squats and bench press today. Uh, and then later on we do some form of occlusion. Now what we're doing is we're prepping the workout would never just be occlusion right. or we would never have somebody lift heavy weights under occlusion. The occlusion is always going to be the supplemental to your heavy training.
0: Now, just to, to clarify what you said about the, um, the Kramer, it was the same day or was it the day after in terms of we're going to expose our athletes to, we'll call it a heavy weight, and then the, um, the metabolic, the BFR, the, the PAMC,
1: that's the day after? Yeah, the, um, for, the, for the metabolic conditioning cycles, it's usually 24 hours later. What I felt was with the BFR, because uh, the metabolic stress was was in a different deal in that, you know, what they were doing is doing some form of lactic bathing. We're kind of doing something in a similar vein, but actually I looked at it like to be able to do it in the same workout.
0: Okay. Yeah, cool. And I mean, it is less... It, it's, because it's the, less demanding
1: the uh, so, so what we're doing yes. is we're using the occlusion to create and pool lactic acid in blood and all these uh, androgens in this space so in a way we're almost hacking into a very similar system that they, we found with the metabolic conditioning cycles So as they started talking about like the physiology and the training in this it took me back to uh, the metabolic conditioning mm-hmm. and realizing that the uh, the priming effect worked in a similar way I could just kind of, move it up a little bit in the, in the cycle. So yes. in a way what we were doing is, Hey, you're going to go in and get your you know heavy training. We're going to do that. And then we're going to use this as an accessory to not only just, uh, get a ton of pump, but also drive all those hormones and androgens and all those really interesting stuff. I mean, there's also, you know, anybody who's ever watched uh, bigger, faster, stronger, uh, Chris Bell's deal where they talk about the Milestone bulls Mm-hmm. where the bulls were born without the myostatin gene. The myostatin gene is effectively a governor on muscle growth. So you see these huge, you know, uh, ridiculous-looking bulls that, you know, are like 1,800 pounds that are just shattering the backs of, you know, cows when they go to mount them. Um, those bulls were born. And there's been certain humans that they've documented over time that were born without the myostatin gene.
0: Oh, yeah. They're, they're usually just pictures of the seven-year-old boys that are yeah, just, just ripped out of their minds. Yeah.
1: So... What they found, especially with the blood flow restriction, actually there was a myostatin blocker in the miles myos- in that deal. Very cool. So I think what happens is they usually subscribe, and the majority of kind of BFR is used within a PT clinic and we've worked with lots of pts and a lot of good ones but the one thing that they don't teach in pt and they don't use very often in the clinic is, is weights or heavy weights for that matter so it's all very very light well, unless they're a power athlete coach unless they're a power athlete coach and then we have a very strong vein of pts that have weights in the clinic and teach people to bang it but most conventional physical right. therapy clinics yes. when you go in pt they're going to use it with grandma uh, and the problem is there's no priming the effect i think where power athletes have been very different in the paradigm is using the research from jerry kramer and the stuff that we learned from the metabolic conditioning cycles and understanding that you have to create the environment for the bfr to effectively work and uh, i I had a long chat i mean through a translator with dr sato about this and he um ended up um co-signing off on it and was like this is very true because, you know, we trained athletes where they did their sports and they just did BFR. The athletes that did their sports lifted heavy weights and did BFR got dramatically better results than the people that didn't lift heavy weights. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the idea of, of uh, you know, neurological efficiency, uh, you know, rate coding, inter and intramuscular coordination, all the great stuff we see within strength training happens under some form of heavy load. But there has to be a priming effect. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, we're looking at two contrasting systems here, but the physiology is very universal. Um, I think for the, uh, for the BFR and why we've always just treated it as an accessory movement where, hey, you know what, like uh, you're going to get your meat and potatoes and then we're going to do this on the accessory side. I think it's always paid very good dividends.
0: Yes. And what was cool during our, our third monkey is we were able to, since people had limited weights, we had them BFR during their strength block their strength portion of the training just to get a little bit more because we knew their limitation, not necessarily their capability, but the weight that they could awkwardly load themselves in. Yeah. So they, aimed,
1: they just didn't have access to the, to the uh-huh. weights that they needed, especially if you're coming out of a traditional weightlifting program or something where you own a barbell and now you're, you know, in the middle of lockdown and COVID. So we were looking for kind of a max dose effect for what, you know, what they had available to them.
0: Yes. So expect if you're a third monkey, athlete out there expect the daily dose Mm -hmm. um and what was cool about the the katsu thing that i recall was they had some wide receivers some basketball athletes that they were referencing and they had those guys running routes and doing their uh their shooting and their skill work with the bfr cuffs on not intensity like they would be at say a sports practice but going through the reps um so then Do you recall any benefit to just, uh, I guess, movement pattern in respect to BFR? So we're not talking like intensity and explosivity, but then the benefit of recovery going through your your sport actions.
1: Yeah, I definitely think there was a recovery aspect that's beneficial just because when you start bringing in all these different growth factors and all these, uh, you know, this really favorable anabolic environment or androgen environment, it's going to promote greater recovery. Um, and just, I think the muscles get stronger. Um, I definitely uh, have always kind of put a correlation with recovery and also that ability for blood to get to the muscle. And so the, the aspect of uh, creating greater elasticity within the veins and also the arteries, um, just from like a longevity standpoint, like, I mean, one of the things that happens as we age is we start getting a hardening of the veins and the arteries. That's why you see like varicose veins and all these issues with the older people. You know, So increasing blood flow. And by occluding it, then as also as a side effect, um, people that were actually having issues with their hearts, they had some research that supported that blood flow restriction was beneficial for those individuals in terms of increasing uh, elasticity within the the arteries, not only within the body, but also within the heart.
0: Yeah. Dr. Tom, in 2016, Power Athlete Symposium presented on how he was utilizing occlusion training for his elderly population 59 to 71
1: yeah he was using it with uh with aerobic work mm-hmm. so they were putting him on the arms and the legs and then pushing them on to I think he was using some form of elliptical but also like an assault bike and that and actually even the cross patterning motion under occlusion was beneficial to some of his elderly patients in terms of building muscle yeah
0: um right. and on oh go, go ahead on. just on the 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 sport side I know in season training use this took over the nba i'm not sure if it's still in practice but since those dudes travel 82 games and basically on the road four nights uh four nights a week and playing like i mean truly intensity intensity some of those dudes are playing the whole game uh bfr took over so they were hitting their strength training following their nba games with the objective of maintaining um just performance, peak performance throughout the whole season. I know for a fact the Rockets were doing it when they were good, but then they don't, are not.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so um, much like everything – um, you know, people think it's, uh, the panacea, it's going to be fix everything. It's going to replace it. Nothing is ever going to replace lifting weights in terms of athletic development and strength and performance. Um, you know, I've, I've been saying it for over a decade, even longer than that. The two things that never got easy, the weights never got light and the sprinting never got easy. I never got done sprinting thinking, Oh, that was great. Let's do that again. I never got under heavy load and thought, Oh, wow, that feels light. Like, so the, whereas I've done a lot of things where all of a sudden you accommodate or you start developing, um, you know, some capacity to do it, but I, I continually look to the things that always suck. Um, I think where BFR kind of went a little bit off the rails is that people started selling it is you only need to do BFR. So the effects of BFR can work and they get into all the physiology and, uh, we can get into a little bit of the physiology with, a uh, article on powerathletehq.com that mr carl case wrote Mm -hmm. outlining some of the physiological effects for me personally and from what i know from dr sato and just our own research for over you know geez seems like many years that we've been doing this there has to be a priming of the pump effect you have to do something heavy whether it be something heavy or something you know compensatory acceleration or something within those veins that involves some form of lifting weights and then using the blood flow restriction as uh you know like obviously those are the primers this is the fucking hit with the hammer to get it to explode so without the primer i don't know if you get the same explosion Hmm. so maybe for some of the elderly patients tom was working with just anything was better than nothing but i think for when you start using it with athletes it's easier just to throw the cuffs on them and let them think that they're getting something done and they are not to say they're not there is an effect but it's dramatically increased when you start having that priming, the pump, uh, priming of the pump effect, very similar with the metabolic conditioning cycles, those work, but they don't work as well when you don't have the priming effect. Lifting something heavy, and um, you know, we always go uh, we go back to the statement that, uh, um, uh, or Tom had on the uh, when we had Newman? Tom yeah Tom Newman on the podcast. He talked about that you have to prime the muscle so that the bathing effect allows those muscles to grow within the metabolic conditioning cycles
0: yes and the cool thing about bfr like you mentioned we can stack that in one day but pamc you'll see it split in two but that's the time for that's a topic for a different podcast how what about grindstone because we mm-hmm. got uh, i won't call them elderly population just some seasoned individuals out there with a minimal amount of time How are you going to explore the use of BFR within the grindstone program?
1: Um, What I do is I throw the BFR in there for an optional. So I usually throw some form of accessory, a little bit of bodybuilding at the end of every workout. So especially on the mandatory upper lower days, there's always going to be an accessory block. So what I'll do is I'll throw in, Hey, if you have here, here's the cuffs. This is how we're using blood flow restriction. If you have access to it, here's how I want you to do the accessory. If you don't have access to the accessory, or the BFR, this is how the accessory is done. So I usually throw it into the accessory and then throw, give two options.
0: So pulling on that thread, how? what would be the differentiation?
1: Would it be sets, reps, weight? How would you split those two? Uh, usually with the blood flow restriction, there is, hey, I want you to pick a lightweight and you're going to do it to failure. So what I'll do is I originally start with people at the time. like get as many reps as you can in 60 seconds. And then from there, I need you to drop it, move on. And then when you, by the time you pick the next implement up, go through this cycle. Here's a little bit of deal. I want you to go for max reps, sixty seconds. Normally, what I'll do if they don't have the blood flow restriction, I'll usually ask anywhere from eight to twelve reps, four sets, and I'll give them through there. And um, you know, rest is needed. Kind of superset it. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily throw, uh, you know, pick a lightweight and just do it for max reps unless they're using some form of occlusion, just because. I don't believe that there's similar, even though the research is really, uh, interesting when you start looking at training to failure, is there a different effect from, uh, in terms of hypertrophy from four reps to failure, five reps, eight reps, 10 reps, 30 reps, a hundred reps. Uh, you know, the research is kind of interesting in that you start looking at like, uh, is hypertrophy all the same Is it all. I think that there's definitely a different effect from eight to 12, five to seven reps than there is from 30 to a hundred reps
0: yeah you get bored yeah lose count
1: well it's also really hard when you start getting into like 100 reps of something and it's super light you're just like looking around like fuck this sucks whereas i think you can wrap your head around something to failure for 8 to ten, eight to 12 reps yes big time all right i did pose some questions to our power athlete
0: coach network that they have on occlusion to throw your wage on okay all right question from uh, coach anderson here is there a plateau effect as with training mod, uh, modalities, imagine, you know, um, I guess switching bars, different things like that in that vein. So is there a, a plateau effect with using BFR?
1: Uh, I don't think so. Um, the reason being, uh, and actually uh, Tom Newman had a great comment uh, that he made to me recently when we, we were wrapping on something else. Every three degrees of variation, only with a bar, but also a grip, foot stance, everything targets a different muscle. So what happens if you want to continue to drive past, let's say, uh, the accommodation effect, or, you know, this kind of plateauing effect, you're constantly picking different grips or attacking it in different ways. So if we're, you know, there's a million different ways to train the bicep uh, you know, in, in that are the same curling method from different grips, different, this different implements. So I think what happens with the plateauing effect is if you're doing the exact same grip, exact same movement. So that's why I really shoot for a ton of variety, especially in the accessory. Uh, there's a, you know, I, I have a hundred ways to attack the shoulders and I want you to use them all. Um, when you lay down to bench, I like I always ask, um, and I actually got this from Louis Simmons on the dynamic. You know, if you're going to do, uh, eight sets of three on the dynamic, they would go, uh force you know every two sets they would actually keep moving their grip out and you know never chewing the same grip more than twice and because it trains a different muscle different neurological effect so i think you get a plateau effect when you know uh, so i used to hate in the 80s remember muscle confusion there was i'm whole, still confused but go on there was a whole training effect called muscle confusion crossfit you know got into it with this constantly varied i believe oh the black box the yeah. magic I believe constantly varied is good for training ADD. It, like I don't want you to do the same thing every day. Unfortunately, if you want to get really strong, you have to do the same thing over and over again. So, I mean, what are we training for? We train for fitness. We train for strength. So, what we can do is we can give them a dose of the stuff we need to get them real strong, and then we can add enough variety in the accessory work to continue to drive adaptation. That's good. Asked and answered.
0: Uh, Any medical conditions that would omit somebody from using BFR
1: training? Uh, I think that you should consult a doctor before embarking on any training program. Now, with that said, and uh, just to get that legal thing out there, um, if you have some form of Uh, heart or some, you know, neurological things going on your brain with like brain aneurysms or something going on that involves surgery. Uh, I think that you should consult your doctor before embarking on anything that looks like occlusion. Um, but I think for healthy individuals, assuming they've talked to their doctor and are healthy, uh, I don't see any need to modify. So, but if you have something going on that either looks like, uh, I don't know, um, you know, some form of vein, what is it like thrombosis or, you know, let's say you're diabetic and you got terrible swelling in your legs. Um, uh, AFib, um, you know, congenital heart issues, broken valve. I mean, anything that looks like something gnarly, I think you need to consult your doctor and ask them is blood flow restriction applicable and usable for me as an individual. Um, the only issue comes down to Doctors are not usually exercise physiologists, so make sure you get checked out. Go see somebody knowledgeable. Just don't go down to your local county sheriff doctor who uh, is probably in there smoking a cigarette, eating a donut, trying to give you nutrition advice. So um, there's also uh, this thing called Google, which I don't like to Google this stuff. But I definitely think if you have some form of health issue going on, I think go to the Google box, enter it in, put blood flow restriction, and look for anything that pops up with any type of complications. Yeah, sometimes that's scary. Don't fuck yourself up.
0: All right, this is in line with injuries. We blanket did the answer with the injuries, but this is specific towards tendinitis. What consideration should be made when using BFR for strength and hypertrophy when compared to rehab of tendinitis? For instance, are there certain rep schemes to use, types of resistance, or possibly utilizing EMS electro stimulation that will work better for one but not the other
1: okay um repeat that again wait just read that one to me again to see if i understood it right yeah uh, yeah antonio read note the time yeah no, note that yeah read wait a minute did, did yeah read that one again for me dude so just i'm not going to fuck this up Considerations should be made when using BFR for
0: strength hypertrophy when compared to rehab for tendonitis. So we're using BFR for strength or using BFR for rehab. Is there, I guess, a difference? The example this coach provided are certain rep schemes to use,
1: types of resistance, or utilizing EMS that would work better. Okay, yeah, the EMS thing kind of threw me for a loop. All right, so we have two different modality series discussing blood flow restriction and EMS are two different movements, right? And obviously, EMS is going to be electro muscle stimulation, in the EMS devices we use with uh, Power Dot and Compacts and whatnot. The idea that there's a certain frequency and intensity that you can put on with the pads that's going to recruit motor units. So a lot of times. Uh, due to injury, age, or other contributing factors, you'll get a down regulation and motor units, won't, motor units won't fire. So by using the EMS device, we can effectively to get indiscriminate motor unit recruitment based upon where the pads touch, which means that if I put the pads on, we're gonna basically short circuit the nervous system and go right from the muscle. And we're just gonna use uh, the device to fire the muscle where if you have an injury, the brain is gonna have neurological inhibition through the central nervous system and whatnot to reduce firing patterns within an injured muscle. So for example, if you had, let's say, patellar tendonitis, uh, one of the, the key factors for patellar tendinitis is the pain inhibits the, the VMO and the quad from firing. So one of the ways that Dr. Bueller deals with patellar tendonitis is he actually works the quad, all the muscles of the quad to make sure they're firing, and then also actually activates the hamstring because what happens a lot of times is when the hamstring shuts down, it doesn't stabilize the knee the way that it should. And then all of a sudden the tendon gets lit up and then it shuts the quad down. And then you get into a ton of chance for injury. So what we end up using is we end up using the EMS device to short circuit that injury, get the hamstring to fire and get the quads to fire and start recruiting motor units. in the idea that by recruiting the motor units, we can effectively get the muscle to fire in a more beneficial pattern. Now. Blood flow restriction is works in a different way in that we're actually occluding the muscle and getting blood to pool. Mm-hmm. And then as you're in this training effect, you're getting a down-regulation of, motor, of, of fiber type. So normally you, you kind of go through this cascading effect we talked about earlier, where you get slow twitch muscle fibers and then you get to those medium muscle fibers and then we finally get to those X fibers, those uh, high-threshold ones. Now fiber type ends up... Uh, downregulating at the same rate in that environment so there's not necessarily uh, a function of motor unit recruitment with blood flow restriction right but we're effectively doing is we're creating this extremely beneficial environment i mean it's almost a hypoctic environment it's what we're doing right reducing venous blood flow but we're not restricting arterial blood flow and the pooling of the muscle if you want to get into some of the effects like increased growth hormone what were some of them uh I got it right here increased fast twitch muscle fiber recruitment elevation of free testosterone increased growth hormone secretion and cellular swelling okay so but there's also so increased growth hormone we also know there's a, a myostatin blocker and we know that it's creating a favorable androgenic environment so if I was an intelligent PT and I was looking to rehab an individual I would use some form of EMS device to create indiscriminate motor unit recruitment mm-hmm. and then once that happens right I would probably use it in a pre-training environment then I would set them off to lift some weights so we actually did uh EMS while we were lifting weights which ended up kind of being a shit show so uh we ended up using it before lifting weights and then using the BFR after the training. So I would actually split it into three parts. I'd do it in a pre as kind of a priming of the pump effect, let them lift weights and then finish them up with a little BFR. The idea that we're going to recruit it, we're going to use it, and mm-hmm. then we're going to bring in some healing to fix it. Excellent.
0: I hope uh, Hope our coaches are taking note. I think that was for a selfish application, but if you got athletes out there or if you're a PT – listen closely uh well we can expect to find these making their way i'm already getting bigger i've been included this entire episode you're looking fucking not even do anything um yeah i'll just put this underneath my polo for saturday night the can you can find these at shop.powerathletehq.com and they will be making their way into our training programs jack street grindstone
1: Feel strong for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm super excited about these. Um, we have been, I mean, there's some amazing systems out there. Uh, Smart Tools has an amazing system, Ketsu Global, um, there's some uh, Be Strong. I mean, there's some really great blood flow restriction training systems. Uh, they just have a higher price point. So, what we ran into, and I definitely recommend if you got some available income and you want to spend a couple hundred dollars or, you know, 500, $750,000 and you really want to get deep into this. Uh, I think that that option is there, and I support the hell out of those companies because I've used them all. You know, I I have the the B Strong system. Uh, I really think the Smart Tools is really really intelligent and very heady. The issue comes down to when you're starting when you're trying to implement into a training system for you know five plus thousand people a day. Uh, price is always going to be a consideration. So just bringing out a Power Athlete branded uh, set of bands that are very inexpensive easy to try so if you want to give it a try you don't have to invest a ton if you get into it and love it there's always some more expensive systems that we can turn you on to but in terms of a gateway getting you in a very simple easy to use system that also is measurable and repeatable was very important and uh man i've been waiting on these for a while i mean this is two years in you know not only idea but also get into production and there's been a bunch of supply chain issues that we've run into that was a, also very difficult one finding a company that would produce it and then also make sure that we got stiff enough velcro and the material was good that it has just a little bit of flex but not too much and then being able to get our branding and just uh, a lot of factors to get the right material and bring a good product to market at a good price
0: yeah they're very battle tested yeah they're legit put them through the ringer leg day arm day every day. And there you have it. That's an excellent breakdown, John of BFR and the benefits and how you will experience it on Power Athlete training programs. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Power Athlete Thanks for having me uh, as a guest or a friend of the podcast on Power Athlete Radio. Thanks for tuning in. I think you've
1: proven yourself. I think you've graduated (laughs) to guest, to Uh, co-host is on the horizon. Oh man, I just figured, yeah, I mean, You know, Well, we got the right skulls on the wall, so now we're ready to move ahead.
0: Uh, If you've been watching on YouTube, you can see me. Just get more and more vascular throughout this whole episode experience.
1: What we need is reviews.
0: That's what we're lacking on iTunes. We need some uh, social proof, Mm. as they call it, that you're out there listening and enjoying it. Drop us five stars. Uh, Yeah, uh, Spotify's got... uh, They got stars. They don't have reviews. Yeah, five stars. So if you're feeling creative... Drop us a review on iTunes. We will read that on the show. If you're just feeling lazy, head to Spotify, hit us with five stars, and we'll be very grateful. That's, yeah, that's very beneficial for us, believe it or not. Throws us up in the algorithm, and it costs you nothing, listener. So until next time,
1: bye. Bye. <laughs>